it is a privilege, all mine, and I mean that sincerely, and uh, be with Brother Wagner and the Furses, and uh, of course I'm missing the Petrakos. I called them uh, knowing I was coming out here, and uh, wanted to know if they happened to be here at the time, and they had just left home. They were on their way toward our church, in fact. They were going to be there. So uh, anyway, missing getting to see them. But uh, Jenny Byers has been very close to my family, uh, my, my middle daughter and her family, who I'm with out here this, uh, this weekend. And, uh, and then the, the Weidemans, I just got to meet, but I've known their family, known of them by way of their daughter Katie when she was in school with my uh, daughter Diana. And so I feel like I'm home too. <laughs> Uh, and it's been a joy to be with you. I have enjoyed the service already, and just the spirit here is, is infectious, which is why you're having to put up more chairs, I believe, and I praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> I always like to give folks a little bit of a, a testimony because many of you don't know who in the world I am, and sometimes I don't either, <laughs> so, so it's good to refresh myself. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in a little town called Clearwater, Kansas, about 20 miles southwest of Wichita. I was born in Wichita. My fifth grade year in school, uh, my mom and dad were both born and raised in Wichita. And uh, I was going to go to the roughest junior high school in town, Hamilton Junior High. And so uh, my dad worked for TWA, the airlines. And uh, on that side of town, they started looking for a small community in which to move. And so Clearwater was their choice, and I thank God for that. <laughs> and the Bible says God guides you with his eye. And we look back with 2020 vision sometimes and see how God put things together, but uh, when you think about it, he is something. <laughs> what a God we serve. Anyway, uh, my mom was Southern Baptist, my dad was American Baptist. Neither one of them knew why they was Baptists. They were saved, but that's about all they knew. And so when we moved to this little town, there was only one Baptist church in town. It was an American Baptist church. I heard a preacher say, Brother, uh, Brother Wagner, years ago, said, American Baptists. He said, I know they're not Baptists. I'm not sure they're American. Uh, they're about that liberal, you know. And uh, anyway, so we joined that little church in town. And in time, my mom became a part-time secretary. And she started seeing things on the inside and Anyway, in, in the meantime, a family moved in next door to us from an independent Baptist background. And they too joined there because it's the only Baptist church in town. But from the minute they joined, they weren't happy. And they started having an influence on my mom and dad. That we became close friends. Their son was my age. He and I are close friends to this day. We're together regularly. Just talked to him on the phone a couple of days ago. We went to Baptist Bible College together. Anyway, it's a long story, but... Anyway, they had an influence on my family to the point that we tried to start a little independent Baptist church in their basement. Pardon me, I'm rehearsing God's goodness. And uh, for about six months we met and it didn't really take. A little town of 1,300 people and we're starting a Baptist church and everybody's looking at us like, we got a Baptist church. Well, who are you and what are you doing? And so they wouldn't touch us with a 40-foot pole, but... Uh, Brother Wagner may remember the Adrian family, uh, Jack Adrian, uh, in Glenville Bible Baptist Church in Wichita. 
and Ken Adrian, his son, was, became my youth director, but he was his associate, and they would alternate. One would come in the morning, the other in the evening on Sundays, and, and then our neighbor, he would teach a little Bible study on Wednesday night. But anyway, in time, it, we gave it up, and so we started traveling into Wichita to go to church. And uh, first missionary I ever met, I always thought they wore Bermuda shorts and a pith helmet. That was kind of the picture I had of them. And uh, I met George Patrick, you may remember, to Korea, who's in heaven now, of course. I was mesmerized. <laughs> wow. A missionary. And hear him tell the stories. And anyway, long story. I uh, was saved at eight years of age in my mom's church, but didn't know anything more than my mom and dad did, really. But in that church, I really began to grow. And at 16, at... Uh, Sagmont Baptist Youth Camp in Joplin, near Joplin, Missouri. Uh, it was either David Cavan or Art Wilson was preaching that summer. I can't remember which one because we had them in a row a couple summers there. But I was 16 and surrendered to preach. And uh, <laughs> I praise God he counted me worthy putting me in the ministry. What a privilege to serve him. Went off to Bible college. I said the only mistake I look back on the life of growing up, and it's like leave it to Beaver. I mean, it was that kind of a family. My little brother's three and a half years younger than I. He's a Baptist preacher today as well. He's up in Calspell, and uh, raised in a Christian home. Thank God for it. But the only mistake I would criticism I would make of my parents in raising us boys was. They let me go off to Bible college too young. I was 17, and I thought it was glorified youth camp. (laughs) I had a great time, but I didn't learn much, and I was kind of in and out of trouble. And So I knew I needed to get my head screwed on straight. So I came back home, went to drafting college, primarily to beat the draft, not because I don't love our country, but rather because I knew I was called to preach. I needed to get my life together. And... uh, so I went to drive to college, studied architecture, always had an interest in it. My dad built our house when I was growing up. And so I was pursuing architecture and knowing I'd never be an architect. And uh, went off to, uh, I was going to go to Kansas University because I was born and raised in Kansas, but found out I could go to the University of Houston where my friend that I grew up next door to who had an influence on our family, the Perkins family, they'd since moved to Houston. And so he said, you can go to UH, come to find out I could go pay out-of-state tuition for cheaper and I could go in-state at KU. And the University of Houston had a nationally known archie school as well. So anyway, I always said it this way. I went to Egypt, Texas, running from the Lord, kind of uh, on a sort. And I married me an Egyptian girl while I was down there. <laughs> and the <laughs> Lord used uh, Granville LaForge at Freeway Baptist Church in Houston to help me get my head screwed on straight. I've always said it, uh, even when I wasn't really in the relationship I should have been with the Lord, I was always in church, and I was still tithing. There's things I grew up doing, you just did them. That, Lydix did those things, you know what I mean? That's who I was, and uh, wasn't where I ought to be with the Lord, but I knew I was saved, knew I was called, and knew that God had a life of service for me. I just needed to get my act together. So God allowed me to do that in Houston, Texas. Went back to Bible college and graduated, and right after that, uh, moved a few items I had with a seven-month 
with child wife, and we moved to Bellevue, Nebraska, didn't know a soul. And uh, that was in May of 1978. And uh, you know that God uses any of us as a testimony to his grace. But no one knows us like we know ourselves. And we're all standing in amazing grace that God would use any of us. But he did use me in spite of me and uh, saw God do great and mighty things for which I just praise him. And uh, tell you what, when you begin to see God move in your life and do things, it'll do a lot for your Christianity. And uh, did a lot for mine. And uh, anyway, God blessed us with three daughters. My middle one is here with her family. And all three of our girls are serving the Lord. Got grandkids that love the Lord and serving the Lord. And it's good. It's good. And uh, because we serve a great and good God. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7, if you're capable and you're able to, if you can stand in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to read a little passage beginning in verse 24, okay? Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible... And you'll see this is the Lord's words himself here when he was on the earth. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Somebody ought to write a little song about that. Yeah. Okay, let's let's bow for prayer, all right? Father, we do thank you already for the things we've enjoyed in your house here tonight. I'm asking just now you'd use me, Lord, as as I certainly want to be used, and I know that you can use me. I pray you'd find me usable, and Lord, that you'd speak through me as you speak also to me tonight. Each one of us, Lord, I know have come to the house of God to hear from the Word of God. And so I pray, Lord, you'd use me as an instrument through which you would speak. And if perchance, I don't know everyone here, I don't know every heart here, but I know you do. If perchance there'd be someone here who's never trusted you as their personal Savior, I pray, Lord, that the message here tonight would really find lodging in their heart, not to the point just to bring some conviction or some trouble that they would soon forget, but rather, Lord, that they'd act upon it before they leave here tonight. And, Lord, for those that are saved, maybe not in a right relationship as they ought to be, again, may you do a work as only you can do. For those that are serving you and are in a right relationship, Lord, may it be a time we just rejoice as we contemplate the great truths of your word and how they apply to our lives. And help us not just be hearers of it, oh God, but rather to be doers of it, I pray. And I'll praise you for it, and I'll thank you for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. When I talked to Brother Brooks about coming, he said you were finishing up your uh, family camp. And uh, he mentioned, uh, of course, Brother Wagner was here, and I was excited to get to see him. And I wasn't sure I'd get to see you tonight. I thought maybe you'd be gone by the time I was here this evening. But, uh, in fact, Brother First and I were talking before the service, and 
uh, talking about some of the things in our country today and how troubling it is. And I've said many times the America I grew up in doesn't exist anymore today, I'm afraid to say. And, uh, <clears throat> and we were talking about it, and I could feel my blood pressure starting to rise. And so I told Brother First, let's stop. You're going to get me started here. And I heard Brother Wagner was preaching on the theme of anger, and I thought, I, <laughs> I don't want to get all worked up here and mess up the whole service, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there are some things to get angry about, by the way, and sin not, amen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I'd like to maybe, if you've got some uh, CDs on the thing, I'd like to hear some of that. I could apply it to my life. I can, I can be sure. But anyway, he talked about the family camp, and if, he said if the Lord would lead you in that way, maybe speak to something that would re- be related to the family. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting when you get into the Word of God, you know, there's times such as this where <clears throat> throughout the Bible maybe the Lord is speaking to his people or a certain group of people, and in, in a practical sense, he kind of lets us listen in. And uh, come on, it's a little, big, a little bigger, a little wider than that. I understand this is God's Word, and it's timeless and timely. And no matter who you are, it applies to you because it's God's Word to man, okay? But there are, in the context of things, you could say, I'm looking at a passage, and it's a certain, certain uh, preaching situation or teaching situation, and there's a certain uh, assembly of people there that the Lord is addressing but how he lets us listen in and we can then apply it to our own lives. And you could say benefit from the things uh, that God has directed maybe to someone else. Um, and certainly when I think about this passage, you may be familiar enough to know that this is the tail end, the closing part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts by saying that when Jesus saw the multitudes, uh, you can't from a spiritual perspective, look on the condition of people just seeing them without at least coming to your mind the need that they have. And the need is universal. (laughs) And Lord Jesus saw the multitudes, and so he gathered them together and began to teach them together with his disciples. And when you get to the close of this passage... Look at verse number 28 here. It says, It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You think the Word of God could teach the Word of God? (laughs) Someone said, When we get to heaven, you know, there's going to be a lot of little preaching chapels up there and get to hear the Apostle Paul preach. Whoa, baby. (laughs) Amen. Or how about this, John the Baptist? Get to hear John the Baptist. But I'm thinking no matter where you go. I mean, any one of the great heroes of the faith, and Moses, go down the list of the great names there in Hebrews chapter 11, for example. And, <clears throat> but I'm thinking a, a chime goes off in glory land. So he says, the Lord's teaching over here. That's, I mean, it empties out everywhere. Everybody moves over there to hear the Lord Jesus teach and preach. I'm thinking, yeah. Must have been something, you think, to sit and hear him expound on the great principles and messages of the Word of God or of, of God Himself, you would say. It says his, <clears throat> they were astonished at His doctrine. Jesus' doctrine, I think, could be said uh, it's astonishing because certainly there's some things just in this passage. Uh, certainly, come on, would you agree Jesus' doctrine is true? <laughs> you ever heard somebody say something? Of you, that's true. That's true. I'm thinking when Jesus was teaching people, he was like, boy, that's true. Just, just page back. Go back to chapter 6, okay? 
chapter 6 and the first couple of verses. Well, just look at verse number 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. <laughs> I think it's so, yeah. You ever been down there when the scribes, yeah, how they put on the show? There's, well, that's true. You know, come on. About anything Jesus would have taught, somebody would say, boy, that's true. Because Jesus is the truth. And certainly he's preaching and teaching the truth. I like this. His, his doctrine is practical. It's practical. Look, look at verse, well, look at verse number 9 there in chapter 6, okay? After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. You know, this is the Lord's Prayer, okay? And just before that now, he says, don't, don't pray like, like, the, like the Pharisees do and those in the temple where they just want to be heard, and they're just praying these, these things. People say, listen to some radio. I, there's a Lutheran hour that comes on, and sometimes I listen to it just for just to listen on to some things, but they always close. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And so they, they pray this passage, you know. Well, now, Jesus didn't say, this is what you pray. You pray this in phrases or the, you pray these very words. No, he's talking about principles. He's talking about certain things that need to be involved in your prayer life. Come on, so often our prayer life is just asking for things. Come on, there's a whole lot more than that. In fact, it starts out with praise for whose God is. Okay. And so, again, what Jesus taught, the practical aspect is you can put it to work in your life. I mean, you can take that and apply it and use it for, for good, okay? And so, again, much of what he taught, they were amazed, astonished at the, the practicality of what he said. And then the simplicity. Uh, I like simple truth. I'm glad salvation isn't hard. If it were hard, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be saved because I'm a simple kind of guy, you know? I'm glad that a little child, come on, a little four or five-year-old little child can understand enough that there's right and there's wrong, and I do wrong, and Jesus died for my sin, and I need a Savior. You don't have to be too old to understand that. And you don't have to be too old to grasp that. And no matter how old you are, you need that. (laughs) The simple truth, okay? Again, there in chapter 6, look at verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all these things will be added unto you. So many, so, I said, so many things that people put their effort and their cons, they're consumed with their, their time and effort in when, you know, come on, God says basically gives us three score and ten. I just marked that recently. <laughs> I'm kind of conscious of it. That could be done tonight, you know. I mean, it's, all he promises is three score and ten. But, you know, compared to eternity... Hello? Compared to eternity? So it's a drop in a bucket. No, it's like a drop in the Pacific Ocean. It's, I mean, there's no comparison. But I'm telling you, people give all their time and effort to the three score and ten and give no consideration to eternity. Somebody needs their head examined. Yeah. But Jesus says it again simply here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things... All the physical things, all the daily things, all the things of our life, God will take care of those things. Amen. You put the spiritual first. You get the eternal perspective first. And all the other things will take care of themselves. It's enlightening. This, this doctrine is enlightening. Look in chapter 7. <clears throat> chapter 7. Probably you've heard this passage before, but look at verse number 21. 
Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. <laughs> then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Whoa. Not everybody that calls themselves a Christian is a Christian. Not everything that tries to identify itself with Christianity is Christianity. More so today than ever before. Come on. I don't think anyone here would argue with me today that we're in the last days. Of the last days, Jesus could come right now. All in favor of that, raise your right hand. Amen. <laughs> I don't even care about the rest of this message. If the Lord had come today, <laughs> come on. I'm ready. I, nothing here for which I want to stay. I'm ready to go home. Amen. Okay. <laughs> but there's a defining thing that makes you a Christian. Somebody said, <laughs> I put it this way, just because you were born, you know, just because you live in a garage doesn't make you a Volkswagen, you know. So well, my, my grandma was a Christian, and my, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. That doesn't make you a Christian. And Jesus was very enlightening about the defining uh, things involved with being a Christian. Okay. But I, I put it this way, and I'll kind of move on. His doctrine is astonishing because it's so profitable. It's so profitable. Look about, again in chapter 6. <clears throat> Look at verse uh, number 19 in chapter 6. Okay. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. Again, <laughs> very profitable. <clears throat> in this life, the effort, again, if I can put it in the context of giving effort to certain things, there's a lot of things that the Lord Jesus talked about can be identified as wood, hay, and stubble. It's really of no good. I've got a garage full of things that I think are pretty valuable. But when I die, my daughters are going to have a yard sale and things that I thought were so important, they're going to sell for the penny on the dollar, you know? Because it really is a bunch of junk. Now, I don't like my wife being here hearing me admit to this. <laughs> but come on, we can apply that really to anything on this side of glory. It's temporal. Okay. And so Jesus is saying, give your attention to things that don't lose value. In fact, they only increase in value if you put up treasures in heaven. Okay. So again, very profitable things in our Christian life. I, I put it this way. I've used this illustration a few times. I've heard of people who get down the the line in life and look back and say, you know, if I could go back, I'd sure change some things. Anybody like that here tonight? I'd, I'd do some things differently if I could go back. I would suggest anybody that's been down the road of life too far at all will have to agree there's some things you wish you hadn't done or there's some things you wish you had done. But I'll tell you something I've never heard anybody say. I don't think you'll ever hear anybody say. You know, I'm looking back when I got saved. If I could go back, I don't think I'd get saved. 
Or, you know, I, I chose to serve the Lord. If I could go back there, I think I don't, wouldn't make that choice. I haven't heard anybody say such a thing. They'll never regret serving the Lord. You'll never regret getting saved. You'll never regret doing right according to the Word of God. But you will regret going your own way, <laughs> making your own choices in life. Yeah, all of us would go back and change those things. Yeah. Well, again, I, going back to what Brother Brooks said, kind of put it in the focus of family, I thought, Jesus is giving some great information here, particularly in the passage that we read to begin with, about building a life. And you can apply it to your family life. You could apply it to your church life. You could apply it to your personal life. You could apply it to your national life. Would God we had some people in Washington that would give heed to a passage like this? Okay. But certainly in the context here of what Brother Brooks mentioned of family life, I want you to notice some things that Jesus said, again, in the last part here of chapter 7. If you're going to build your life, build it according to a plan. A plan. Look again there at verse number 24. He starts by saying, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. A wise man. A wise man is one who gives attention to some detail. A wise man is a man that has some consideration for the long term, the long haul. I mentioned a moment ago I was in architecture. I worked in architecture. I went to archie school. I didn't graduate with a degree in architecture because I got back online and went back to Bible college. But I worked in the field. Even when I went back to Bible college, I worked for an architect. When we did some things to the building that we purchased. It was a school building. We've changed it into a church building. I'm thankful. You know, again, God uses things in our lives for good, and I've been able to apply that. I've helped some other pastors build some churches and some additions and different things, and so I, I know a little bit about architecture, and I have an appreciation for the field and for the, for the difference it makes in building. I said for the difference it makes in building. Have you ever seen somebody build a house that didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> now, lighten up. I may be getting close to some people here tonight. <laughs> I'm on your side, okay? I'm on your side. But have you ever seen something that somebody didn't have a plan? They were just kind of winging it? Or like I often like to say, going by, flying by the seat of their pants, you know? Just kind of adding on. You can tell if you really pay attention, come on, listen up now. If you even pay attention, looking at some houses, you can say, I'll bet an architect didn't build that thing. <laughs> now, architects are known for planning, okay, and design, that it works, okay, giving it some thought beforehand, okay. Well, listen, for, the li for our life, for our family life, come on. When I was growing up, <clears throat> Doris Day, there's a great song in the 1950s, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It's a great song, but it's horrible theology. It's horrible practicality for building a life. Whatever will be, will be. Don't build your life that way. I'll tell you what will be. It'll be a mess. That's what it'll be. Okay. You better have some planning. You better give some forethought. You better give some condition, uh, some uh, attention to the condition of your life. What are you? Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you going? 
Now, particularly, listen to me, young people. I said, listen to me, young people. Young people are the ones that are known for the now and now. I mean, they're concerned with, I want to be popular now. I want to know what's going on now. I'm concerned for the trends of now. I'm telling you, now is gone in a flash. (laughs) I can remember at 16 years of age. I remember this as if it were not too many years ago. My driveway, our driveway in our neighborhood was the neighborhood basketball court. Remember, I was raised in Kansas. We played basketball in Kansas. And uh, I remember one day I was out shooting hoops by myself. Nobody else was there shooting hoops. And I was thinking, you know, no one else to talk to. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm 16. I remember this. Brother Brooks, I remember. I'm shooting hoops. I'm 16. In 50 years, I'll only be 66. (laughs) Whoosh. (laughs) You want to tell me where that went? Anybody here relate to that? Well, come on. God knows all about that. Through the pen of the the apostle James, he said, what is your life? It's a vapor. It appeareth for a little while, and it vanisheth away. Now, here's here's the application, young people. You may be 15, 16. I'll tell you, before you know it, you'll be 70. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, you better listen up. You'll wonder, whoosh, where did it go? Well, here's the application. You better give some consideration. Where are you going to be in 50 years? What's the, what's the ramification? What are the consequences of your life now that you're going to reap or you're going to face or you're going to deal with down the road? Uh, man, I'm telling you, when I, was, when I was pastor, I don't know how many, how many times I had people sitting in my office, and I want to slap them upside the head. Pardon the anger part here. I wanted to slap them upside the head, and I would say, are you listening to me? Forget the now and now. You better look down the road. I said, look down the road. What's the consequence going to be? And boy, in the context of the family, there is baggage supreme. If you don't keep your family together and keep your act together and keep your head screwed on on what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do in accordance with with the truth and the guidebook called the Word of God. Remember what I said? You won't look back down the road and regret that you gave thought to applying the principles of God's Word, what you will regret when you didn't. (laughs) So, young people, listen up. I'm telling you. Listen to one. I've been there, done that. I've been down the road. I I sat where you sit, and I'm telling you, there's going to come a day you wish to God you could go back there and make some decisions you should have made or keep from making some you did make. Well, make them now. Give thought to it now, okay? A wise man, got your head screwed on? Are you listening? Are you paying attention? A wise man gives consideration to it now. A wise man, according to plan. Number two, I already mentioned it. I'll (laughs) I'll just say it again in passing with longevity in mind. If I can use the architecture thing again. You want to build something that will last. Home ownership is a form of slavery. (laughs) 
It's better if you use quality materials, you know, and you give some thought to the longevity in mind, all right? And, and then thirdly, this is where I want to get. <clears throat> you're going to build your life, you're going to build it on a sure foundation. A sure foundation. Look again at verse number 24. Therefore, so, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, we know the spiritual application. That rock is a capital R rock, the rock of our salvation, okay? So if you're going to build your life, you're going to build your family, you're going to have a successful family, I'm telling you again from experience, I thank God. I thank God I was raised in a Christian home. I thank God that my dad was a leader of our home. I remember when we, when we joined uh, Glenville Bible Baptist, when we tried to start that church in my neighbor's basement and there were several churches in Wichita that were kind of praying for us and helping us. And so when it got time and we decided we, we're not going to continue this, we're going to go join a church in Wichita, the Perkins family joined a different church than the one we did. So we visited, I, I think I remember like three churches that we visited. My brother and I wanted to join where the Perkins were because <laughs> our friends, you know, and we'd know somebody there. My mom ha had kind of an affection for a another church, and then my dad believed that we should join Glenville Bible Baptist. So here we have three different opinions, but I thank God my dad took the leadership. I remember we were standing in front of the church there, joining Glenville. I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to be here. But boy, in time, I thank God that's the church we chose. The influence of that church on my life is eternal. Again, called to preach there, grew as a Christian there, have lifelong friends from there. And uh, <laughs> thank God for my home where I I've said it many times. I'll tell you, when the door squeaked at church, Brother Brooks, we were there. I mean, I don't care what it was. <laughs> It could be a work day, visitation. I don't, whenever the church was there and we lived 20 miles away, we were there. I've often said that the, the, the stupidest question I could ever ask my dad or my mom, you know, Saturday night or something, are we going to church tomorrow? <laughs> my dad would look at me. Looks would be like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> he wouldn't say a word. He'd just look at you like, are you crazy? We go to church. I said a moment ago, when I wasn't even serving the Lord, when I wasn't in the right relationship with the Lord, I was in church. I mean, that's what I was taught to do. You don't forsake the house of God. <laughs> you tithe. I didn't hear as many amen. You tithe. Yeah. I mean, those are things you do. You don't, you don't stop doing those things. <laughs> Built on a rock. Sure foundation. If I can go back to... The architecture thing. I'll tell you what, a house. Some of you have been house shopping. You've bought a house. One of the things they, they teach you about, check the foundation. That's essential for, again, for the longevity and the value of the home. And come on, when it comes to our homes, I'm talking about our home, the family. A house is where you live. The home is who you are. If you're going to build the home, you better have a sure foundation. And the sure foundation of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Do you know you're saved? Are you making sure that your kids are saved? 
Come on, if, if you make sure, I, I go door knocking, I meet folks, I say, do you go to church anywhere? No. I say, listen, if there's ever the day you need to have your church, your family in church, it's today. It's a jungle out there. I'm telling you all the help you can get. Amen. If you have your family in church from the time they're born, I used to say, my girls, they heard preaching in the womb. They recognize a hallelujah or an amen from the womb, you know. But if you have your family in church, it's just as natural. I said it's just as natural as a little kid will learn how to walk and how to talk. It's a natural thing. How do they happen to learn to walk? Well, they're around walking people. <laughs> My oldest daughter, her middle son, he's, he's, he's quite the story. His name's Malachi. <clears throat> he never crawled. I know what you're going to say, Grandpa. He walked right out of the womb. No, he didn't crawl. He rolled. <laughs> Everywhere he went to go, he rolled over there. Well, finally, he got his act together, and he thought, I'm getting worn out rolling. I'm going to get on these two feet here. He saw other people doing it. I want to do that too. They learn to talk. You know why they learn English in, in America? Well, I need to rephrase that. Why they should learn English in America? Because we speak English. Yeah, I had a <clears throat> high school, became one of my closest friends. He was a Cuban refugee. Our freshman year, his family came over from Cuba. And he used to say his mom would get hopping mad. <clears throat> We're not speaking Spanish. We're in America. We speak English. And she, she spoke very broken English, but she was working at it. And she wanted her kids to speak English. She'd get upset if she heard them speaking Spanish. <laughs> Well, that needs to be preached today. Pardon me. But anyway, my point is, come on, if, if you're around English-speaking people, guess what they learn to speak? Well, guess what? If, you, if you're raised in church and you hear the gospel preached regularly and the emphasis is upon you need Jesus Christ your Savior, guess what? I said, guess what? For a little youngster, it's natural for them to understand I'm a sinner and Jesus is my Savior and he died for my sin and I need to ask him to be my Savior. It's just as natural. I have parents that have come to me and say, Preacher, I'm, I think my son or my daughter, they're, they're starting to ask some serious questions, and I, I think they're getting close. I said, well, make sure you keep them in church. Make sure you have your family devotions. Come on, make sure you keep, because if you do, they'll get saved. I said they'll get saved. It's a natural thing. Build your family, build your life upon a sure foundation. And then, of course, already kind of alluded to, with quality materials. Look at verse number 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. <laughs> now, again, you got the foundation here. The Lord Jesus is the foundation. But then you're going to build on it with other building materials. Okay? And you want to use quality building materials like Bible standards. Like Bible standards. What we do, we do because it's the, guide, the guidance and the instruction of the Word of God. This is what you do. This is what righteousness is. There's a benefit from righteousness. We sang some of those choruses tonight that speak to that very thing. And so Bible standards, moral absolutes, 
Oh, man, can I preach that? Oh, would to God we'd hear some preachers in Washington, D.C. We need some moral absolutes. It is absolutely right and it is absolutely wrong. Amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Enough already. Well, kind of, you know, whatever feels good. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. Positive influences. Parents, listen up. Make sure your kids are surrounded by positive influences. My youth director, Ken Adrian, I wanted to be Ken Adrian. <laughs> he had such an influence in my life. Still does. I'm going to see him here in a couple of weeks. He's in his 80s now. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Of course, I'm 70, so what do you think? <laughs> I, can't, I can't, still can't believe that. I'm, I'm having a hard time here. You, you give me, cut me some slack. But anyway, <laughs> positive influences. <clears throat> I've had preachers ask me, Brother Brooks, <laughs> to what do you credit? I've had church people ask me, but what do you credit the success of your family? Your girls are all married godly men. They're in church. Your grandchildren love the Lord. And to what do you credit that? And before the Lord, I say, first and foremost, probably my wife. We homeschooled. My girls were around my wife 24-7, you know. And she certainly purpose to instill in them the Bible standards and moral absolutes. And, but then I said, you know, something else. <clears throat> Brother First, Brother Wagner, you appreciate this. I said, I, I had my girls around preachers that loved to serve the Lord, that had a good time serving the Lord. Dave Brown, Rich Farinella, some of those guys, Dave McCracken, I mean, our girls grew up, we're laughing. We're around preachers, and we're laughing all the time. Come on, it's a joy to serve the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And so we had them around preachers. Now, there's some preachers, you've probably met a few. I mean, was it little Abner, the guy that had the cloud over his head all the time? You know, some of these kids, little Abner, who's that? <laughs> anyway. You've met people. I mean, they're they're walking on their lower lip. You know, I mean, nothing good. You know what I'm saying? Life's miserable. God deliver me from people like that. It's tough enough as it is. <laughs> Come on, I want some folks to kind of lift me up and encourage me in the Lord. And so I've said that kind of, that kind of environment is good for your Christianity. Keep a spring in your step. Keep a smile on your face. Because, again, it's a jungle out there. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. But I'm telling you, you can get there real quick. And it, it, all, it all is all gloom and what's the word? <laughs> bad. It's bad. <laughs> Quality materials. <clears throat> and then, <clears throat> getting to the close here. Look again at verse number 5. <clears throat> verse number 25, I'm sorry. It says... Uh, the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. You better employ, I put it this way, employ a vigorous construction and maintenance program in your life and in your family. 
Because you know what? The rains and the floods will come. <laughs> yeah, it's not real funny, but in Omaha, I don't know if you heard all the floods we've had here lately. <clears throat> it started back in 93, 1993. We had what they called a 500-year flood. We've had four of them since then. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> well, my point is this. Come on. The floods are going to come. Difficulties are going to come. Hello? We live in what's called a sin-cursed world. So guess what you're going to experience? Guess what you're going to be confronted with? You're going to be confronted with a sin condition. You're going to be confronted with sinners and evildoers. And you're going to be con confronted with people that have no sense and no understanding of all about life. And they got their lives all messed up, and they'd mess up yours if you'd let them. And so I'm telling you, you need a maintenance, a daily maintenance, daily maintenance. If, you're, if your Christianity is dependent upon Sunday morning and Sunday night even, you're in trouble. You need Sunday school. <laughs> There's some people just come to church. Come on. You need more than that. Again, talking about your family, your kids are, if they're in public education, God help them. They're being inundated. They're being, it's not public education, that's a misnomer. It's called public conditioning. And they're being conditioned by the world. You need every bit you can get of the influence of the Word of God and God's people and righteousness and all that kind of influence to maintain your Christianity. I said a moment ago, home ownership is slavery. <laughs> Say, man, I got my new home, and man, we're good to go. <laughs> you just bit off more than you can chew. Keeping up with it all. Well, the same with your family. Come on, it requires maintenance. It requires attention to maintenance. So does your life. So does your family. Keep after it. I said keep after it. Say, I'm praising the Lord. Our family's all saved, and we love the Lord. Keep after it. Don't take it for granted. Don't let it go. Don't think just because we got the right course charted, we'll just keep going in the right course. There's all kinds of attention getting from every side. Come on, you think Satan's asleep? You think he doesn't know his time's running out? I'm telling you, he's working overtime today. And you know who's in his crosshairs? Your preacher and his family. Your song leader and his family, your deacons and their families, your Sunday school teacher and their families, the leadership. He, it's kind of like in the war, you know, those lieutenants said they're looking for an SOS pad. They want to scrape off those two things because the enemy's shooting at the leadership. The enemy's shooting at the leadership. And it goes right down to our homes. Moms, you need to pray for dad. Brother and sister, you need to pray for dad. He's the leader. You need to pray for mom. She's his help me. I'm so thankful. My mom and dad are both in heaven today. They loved each other right up to the very end. My brother's a Baptist preacher, as I said. His son is a preacher in Spokane, Washington. His daughter is a missionary in Fiji Islands with her husband. My three girls married to men that love the Lord, serving in their churches. When our families get together, we, we would occasionally, when, the, when my niece and her family would come home from the field, we'd, we'd have a Lydic reunion, and 
my brother's side and my side and all of our grandkids is great. In fact, the last one we had, we had up here in the Black Hills and uh, one of these houses you rent. And we had a seven-bedroom house and all of us were in there together. It was great. And you know what? We agreed on everything. <laughs> you say, that's weird. I say, no, that's God. Come on, if you have the same book, you got the same Savior, you got the same principles, you got the same life you're trying to keep together and serve the Lord, no wonder we're together on everything. Come on, that's what God intends for it to be. Jesus prayed that his disciples would have unity. They'd be together. He said, as I and my Father are, he prayed for the same kind of unity. God wants that, certainly in our families. Then I close with this last point. If you're going to build your life, you need to enlist again all the help you can get. Look again at verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. (laughs) Keep your nose in this book. I got to close. But let me say this. When, When I have the joy of seeing somebody get saved in our church, I give them this little regimen. I say, this is important. If you're going to continue to grow in the Lord, you, there's three things. I call it the, the Christian tripod for, for stability. Now, if you don't think about a tripod, if you take one of the legs out, it's anything but stable, is it? Probably going to fall over. Okay. You need all three. I said you need church attendance. I'm looking for an amen. You need church attendance. Okay. You need a prayer life. And you need Bible study. Those three things together, you need to put that to practice as soon as you get saved, okay? Because Satan's, he's on the prowl. He's looking for an opening, okay? So you need those three things. And so I tell him, on your Bible study, here's, here's what I suggest you do. You need to have a, a regimen, again, a plan of, of Bible reading. Now, most folks think when you, you know, you're going to start reading the Bible, go to the book of Genesis. Now, I understand it's a foundational book. Don't, don't get ahead of me. I understand the importance of the book of Genesis. Amen. It ought to be taught in our schools. Yeah, anyway. But I said, a new believer, by the time they get to chapter 5, start reading the genealogies, <laughs> they're going to get a little bogged down, you know. If they can make it through that, by the time they get to Leviticus, they're probably just done, you know. <laughs> so I say, here's what I'd suggest you do, and I'm going to close with this. I give them four books of the Bible they need to start with, and a couple of books that they need to make a daily regiment. I say you need to read a psalm, a passage of psalm, maybe a verse or two in Psalms and a verse or two in Proverbs, at least, if not a whole chapter. You know. I said psalms will make you sweet, Proverbs will make you smart. And we need a dose of both of those things these days. Okay? So that's your daily, daily vitamins, spiritual vitamins. You need to read a psalm and a proverb every day until Jesus comes. That's just a part of your Bible reading. You do that every day, a psalm and a proverb. And then I said, and here's where you start. I said, start in the book of John, the gospel of John, to tell you about your Savior. He's something. He's precious. Tell you all about your Savior. Then you read the book of Romans. That'll tell you about your salvation. Praise God for your salvation. It's something too, isn't it? Okay. And then I say, go to the book of James. The book of James, I like James because he's kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy. Don't tell me about your faith. I want to see your works. Don't tell me you have faith and don't have works. I'll tell you, you don't have faith. Yeah. So he's kind of a no-nonsense. Come on, if, you, if, you've, if you're a Christian, you need to be serving the Lord. Your life needs to be a testimony that you're saved, okay? 
And so I'd give them the book of James. And then I say 1 John. 1 John talks about love, real love, God's love. You know, for the world, love's just another four-letter word, isn't it? But not God's love. It's a transforming love. Okay? So I say those four books, and you need to get your nose in God's word and make that a practice in your life. Because, again, I'll just sum it up with saying you need all the help you can get. You need church family. When there's more of us together, we're stronger. First message I ever preached was in a youth group. Ken Adrian, after I was called to preach, said, you need to start learning how to preach. I thought, oh, my soul. <laughs> so he said, I'll give you a little, a little object lesson book. He said, just go through there and find you an object lesson. So I found one. And here's what I did. The first, first message I ever preached, Brother Brooks, youth group, I was supposed to pick out the big husky guy, the football player, you know. I called him up, and I had a stick match. I said, <clears throat> Here, here, big boy, let me see you break this match. I said, go ahead, break the match. So he'd snap it. Okay. Well, then I'd pull out a whole bunch of wood matches with a rubber band around them, bound together. I'd say, okay, let me see you break this. He'd look at it. I said, go ahead, try to break it. So, well, you know the story. It's an ob- obvious object lesson. He couldn't break it. Well, here's the application. You with me? When you're out there by yourself, Satan will snap you right in two. But, man, when you're bound together with God's people, you are strong. You are strong. And you need all the help you can get. Come on. You need to have the right kind of friendship. Good, godly friends. Amen. You need to have, again, when when I was growing up, my mom used to listen to uh, J. Vernon McGee. I can uh, listen to all the radio radio programs she used to listen to. Go in the kitchen, man. She had it on all the time. Now, you got to be careful these days. But I'm just talking about, come on, anything that will help you grow in the Lord. Uh, you, need, you need all the help you can get. <laughs> and here's the truth of the whole matter. The most important, and I know there's three, you know, three institutions the Lord established. But that home is the first one. And the home is so essential. Come on, Brother Brooks. Our churches would be nothing if we didn't have strong homes. We know that. We know that. But do you know that? The importance of your home? Don't you for a moment underestimate the value, the eternal value of your home. And so, again, God's given us some instruction. You want a strong home? You want, a, you want an enduring home? Come on, build it on a rock. And use some good quality materials to keep it, build it up, and then you keep it maintained. And I'm telling you, it'll be, it'll bring glory to God, which is all that we want to see and, and be. That our lives, that our families would be, bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for how important it is to us how essential it is to us if we're going to have lives that make a difference, to have lives that develop into what you've designed them to be. The home is not Satan's design. It's not the world's idea. It's your institution. And it is holy. It is essential for what you intend for this world. So I pray we'll give our attention to the instruction and the guidance you've given us about how to build a strong one and how to maintain an effective one. 
Lord, help us to apply it here tonight, I pray. And I'll thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.